is through the marriage of parents as an example. The solidity of the marital union is not only God's plan for the family, but it is the foundation for security and faithfulness in the next generation. And when Christians fail to model God's plan, they undermine that trust and sometimes even unintentionally set them up for an accusation from their teens as hypocrites and possibly even turn them from that faith. Uh, if you would, you may want to turn to Ephesians 5. We'll be there in just a little bit, but just so you'll be ready, we're going to read that, to get, or I'm going to read it, and I want you to get the full impact of that. Uh, back in July, it's on. Check. How are we doing? Oh, okay. My fault. Sorry over there. <laughs> We're, yeah, over in the edition, if you'll turn to Ephesians 5, uh, we're going to be there in just a minute. And uh, back in July, we covered in a series on marriage, two marriage building blocks. We talked about preparing for marriage, and then we also talked about jealously guarding your marriage. And today, we want to get into talking a little bit about tasks, but primarily about roles and responsibilities within marriage. I need to give credit uh, to uh, not only Bruce Wilkinson, who's kind of gave me the outline, but also to my lovely wife, who edited and uh, tempered my message quite a bit. When, when Christy and I were very young in the 50s and 60s, early 60s anyway, the norm was a mom at home and a providing dad. And if you grew up in a home with a mother and the father, you saw a division of labors, okay? And mom did certain things, dad did others, and whether or not that division was equal or not, that was the model you grew up under. And so that's what happens when two come together to form one, they bring those ideas or concepts of the division of labor into it, and they may not match. So it can be something that they need to work through so that they can have harmony. These are called tasks, at least that's the name label we're going to give them. And tasks are not biblically assigned, rather they depend upon skills and gifts and time and motivations and that sort of thing. They're also not distinct, meaning that they may need to be done by a group of people or the whole family in the household. Uh, our daughter Esther will confirm with you that Chrissy was very big on charts. And that was to assign people to different areas of the house before school started in order to cut down on rush hour uh, be be before the school started. Uh, the, this is not an unimportant issue. If children are allowed to be lazy or have a bad example from their parents and then take that flaw into marriage, it can cause some problems. It's not maybe a front burner issue, but it is a practical issue and may prevent some arguments if the couple explores those expectations before they enter into the union. 
Uh, now, tasks are distinguishable from roles and responsibilities, which are our subjects for today. And as always, I want you to study this issue on your own. Because the failure to fully understand the biblical concepts of marriage has caused abuse of those roles, neglect of responsibilities, and reaction to just even words that cause division within and without the church. The most relevant passages uh, on roles and responsibilities are listed, I think, near the top of your handout. And this topic is variously called the complementary relationship, oneness, or headship and submission. So if you would turn to Ephesians 5, uh, and we're going to start there at verse 22 in a minute. Uh, and if you find this passage hard to hear, maybe certain phrases that don't strike you quite right, I simply ask that you give me and perhaps others an explanation, an opportunity to explain the whole counsel of God and try to understand the spirit of what the Bible really teaches about marriage. So let's start there. Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. With that, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, you have given us a model and it is easy to misunderstand. But you have clarified through your word, help me, Lord, please, to explain what is meant by oneness in marriage. We give you all praise and ask for open hearts, open ears, open minds today to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. You know... The fact that the Bible tells wives to submit to imperfect husbands makes it hard to accept within our culture. And those who oppose or misunderstand the clear teaching of the Bible characterize submission and headship as statements of inferiority and superiority, subservience and domination, maybe even slavery. Therefore, Teaching this scripture or even espousing these views in general can result in ridicule, in reproof, maybe rejection, or in our culture, cancellation. Therefore, you probably don't hear this taught very much today. However, 
if you take the time to examine what is actually meant by these terms in Scripture, you'll see that the, this interpretation of domination by the husband does not even come close. It's an adulteration fostered by Satan to divide our oneness between husband and wives, between members of the body of Christ, and within society. So let's start with the third building block, the, other, the first two a couple of months ago, about the role of husbands. And I want to make some quick uh, touch points first that will help in understanding the context of everything we're going to talk about today uh, and we hope to flesh out within this message. First, God's Word makes clear that men and women, husband and wives, are equal in God's view. When Paul states in Galatians 3 that there is, quote, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, he's clearly not saying there are no differences between men and women. He's clearly not saying there's no difference in gender. But rather, they are equal in worth, dignity, and value before God. We're all one. So biblical submission, as we'll get into, has nothing to do with an inferior acting out of fear of a superior. Secondly, and this is speaking more broadly here, within the church, the Bible provides of how leadership is to be exercised. Peter exhorts church leaders to, quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, period. Clothe yourselves, all of you, including the elders, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Church leaders who have biblical authority lead not by force but by example. And this is the kind of servant leadership that should evoke a following willingly, even humbly. Beyond that, Paul exhorts all believers, including leaders, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5. Now, while church governance and marriage are not the same, it provides an example of biblical leadership which is applicable to marriage. Husbands who act out of self-interest and try to dominate their wives, who do not lead by example with humility, are acting inconsistently with the model of biblical leadership and will be encounter God's resistance. That's what he promises. On a purely logical and practical level, though, I want to consider uh, an example of a partnership, a 50-50 one with equal authority between the two. It works until it doesn't. Okay? In other words, as long as the two partners agree, we're fine. But if they disagree and neither wishes to submit to the other, the partnership will end. The problem is that God intends the marital partnership to be lifelong. It does not end to a disagreement. It, it lasts for as long as we both shall live until death do us part. So if there's an unresolved disagreement, somebody submits if the couple wants to keep their vows. Headship and submission actually works when practiced as the Bible guides us. Paul says in Ephesians 5, now the church submits, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit 
in everything to their husbands. Now, when unbelievers hear this passage or expressed one way or another, they'll often jump to the conclusion that Paul teaches men to be totalitarian rulers. On the other hand, some men have used the scripture to dominate or force their will on their wives. Both of these views have missed God's plan for oneness in the marital relationship. In his role of headship, a husband cannot conclude that he gets his way no matter what this person with whom he shares life with thinks. That's not the spirit of biblical marriage. Quite the contrary, they are one. And my experience is that women are sometimes much wiser in certain areas and that men should listen to the counsel of their wives because she has more sensitivity to some, sort of, some, some spiritual matters and she often sees things that at least I do not. She has different gifts and strengths. Biblical marriage involves being and acting as one as much as possible. So we'll get back into this issue, but for now, while Scripture says the husband is the head of the wife, recall that it also says that Christ is the head of every man, and he is the, a higher authority than the husband. If a husband tries to force his wife to disobey God, that's an abuse of his authority. If this were to happen, certainly she should appeal and try to reason with him, but she cannot disobey a higher authority, that is, God. Finally, from a purely historical perspective, it was the teaching of the early church that lifted women out of second-class citizenship of both that Jewish and Roman culture to a position of equal value, worth, and dignity with men. First, here's another one. First Peter 3 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, Peter's use of the phrase weaker vessel has caused some consternation as well. A weaker vessel is not inferior, it is different with a different purpose. Men are often like dented up metal cups, taking the blows often without a lot of sensitivity. When blows come to women or into their awareness, they will often stop and smell the hurt and have more sensitivity and empathy. They're more like fine china. They were made to complement one another, not compete against one another. There are times to be tough, and there are times to be sensitive. We need both in the whole marital union. So the key here is that headship is not the power to control a wife. Rather, it is the responsibility to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So a husband is to put his wife above all except God. Work, hobbies, buddies, everything. And yes, as Sean and Tanya will teach you in, in their parenting class, even children. Yeah, children need to be protected. They need to be cared for and all that. That's a major part of being in the family. But the wife is the higher priority. And the husband's role as a servant leader, his example is Christ. 
What did Christ do? He washed the feet of his disciples. He then died for his bride, the church. Finally, we read that a husband is to love his wife as his own body. To clarify, I think you know this, but this is not saying that, that he is to love his wife because he loves his own body. Rather, he is to love his wife because as one, she is his own flesh, his own body. Therefore, the husband nourishes and cherishes the wife just as Christ does the church, because the church is one with him. Okay, let's move on to the role of the wife. Now, the, the basis for rejecting biblical roles of the wife and husband is that some view one role as more important, held in higher esteem than another. The Bible starts off by describing marriage roles this way in Genesis 2. Then the Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So Eve was meant to be a helper with the same essence. Later it says, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The biblical view is that Eve was created to be a partner who is fit for Adam, meaning she was a perfect counterpart to make both of them whole. They were meant to be together. We go back to Genesis 1, and we, that helps us see how God made men and women equally. Uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created mankind, male and female, he created them. Then he gave a mission to both of them uh, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over all the other creatures as one together. So just as with the husband... After God, as her ultimate authority, her husband is to take priority over all of her interests and tasks, whether in the home or work outside the home. There's uh, a true story that I heard one time about a group of architects who sat down together with their wives over dinner. One of the architects said, you know, everything that we do as architects will one day be in the landfill." But everything our wife, wives do in being the heart of the home and nurturing our young children will last for eternity. Now think about that. Is there anything more important than that role? While Paul indicates in, in Titus 2 that a wife is to teach younger women and manage the home, the tasks of her wife are not confined to the home, as it says in Proverbs 31, which describes the virtuous woman. Some of those tasks mentioned are business-related and involve significant responsibility. Uh, let me recount to you what I found recently uh, written down by one who was very close to me about her impressions of what a Proverbs 31 virtuous woman or excellent wife does. She, quote, she obtains what is needed and works willingly. She brings her household food regardless of distance or trouble. She evaluates needed property and items and buys them. She works hard to provide, and she makes herself strong. She thinks prudently. She clothes her family. She is an entrepreneur. She has strength and dignity. She manages her household well, and she is not lazy. 
Here are the ways that this very special person sees the virtuous woman helping her husband. Quote, she is trustworthy and her husband relies upon her. She comforts, encourages, and does him only good. She rises early to provide spiritual food for her household, yet her lamp burns late at night. She reaches out to the poor and needy. She speaks with skill and wisdom. She also speaks with kindness. She has strength of character. Her husband's reputation is good because of her. Finally, she fears the Lord. Now, That very special person in my life has recognized that these are worthy of emulation. And I can tell you that she has quietly done them. For that reason, her children call her blessed and her husband praises her. Christy has sometimes lamented that she was not able to bring more income into the household. And I started to think about that. Uh, when uh, Care Paraville started, you know, we couldn't afford to send our kids there, so we homeschooled, and Christy took a hold of that and just ran with it for the next four decades. And I did some figuring, some ciphering, and I have concluded that conservatively, she has saved our household somewhere between $750,000 and a million dollars, in tuition alone. And this doesn't count all the other stuff. Not contributing. So this gives us a picture that God wants us to have within the marital union, that husband and wife are to be equal parts of the whole, but often with different roles. The wife is to help her husband submit to him as her head on earth, while the husband is to be her loving servant and protecting leader, willing to sacrifice all for her. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is the example for husband. He's also the example for wives. As part of the Trinity, the Godhead, Jesus had what we call essential equality with the Father. He's equal in essence. Yet, he submitted his will to the Father in what is sometimes called functional subordination or submission. Jesus made clear that he came down to earth not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if Jesus, equal within the Trinity, submitted to his Father, can there be any indignity, any inferiority of a wife's voluntary submission to her servant, leader, husband. Now, I believe that if a person refuses to see and accept the biblical concept of oneness in marriage, I feel sorry for that person because they're going to miss a tremendous gift of God and perhaps live in some bitterness. If the two function as one, generally this is not going to be an issue over which to divide because it is God's gift Let's move on to responsibilities. First, the husband. If you ask men, you know, what their responsibilities are, I'm sure a lot of them would say, well, to provide for the family and protect my wife and kids. And that's definitely a major responsibility. However, it's not the primary responsibility. Recall that Ephesians 5 says, quite simply, that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
So in what ways does a husband fulfill that responsibility to love his wife? First of all, he loves continually. The word love in Ephesians 5 in the Greek is in the present tense, meaning that it is ongoing, continuous action, not now and then as he may prefer, but not based upon how she acts or how he feels. It's constant, continuous love. And thankfully, that's how Christ deals with us, his bride, the church. He loves actively. The word love here is an active verb, and active verbs have objects. So the object of a husband's love is his wife. There are certainly many ways, great and small, that a husband may show his active love. It, you know, it might be you know, a surprise getaway. It might just be giving her some time out alone away from the chores and the kids. The point here is that it involves action by the husband. A husband loves by choice. Just as God's moral law is not called the Ten Suggestions, husbands are not encouraged to love their wives. It is God's commandment. If he takes a woman as his wife, as a believer, he must always love her. So where's the choice? His choice is whether he obeys God or not. His commitment to love his wife is a commitment to God. How does he do that day to day? He chooses to act for her benefit always, to treat her with tenderness, even when she seems less than lovable. He either chooses to obey or not. And if not, we can say that he's probably in presumptuous sin. Now, he might rationalize, but he can't separate his relationship with Christ from his relationship with his wife. Why? Because that union, that relationship, is the most intimate earthly relationship one can experience, two becoming one. More importantly, God's Word tells us that marriage typifies or represents to the world Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. He loves sacrificially. Again, Paul tells us, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands are not to love their wives because God loved the church, rather in the same way. If one is to love another, one sacrifices. It costs the giver something valuable, uh, like money or material or time or energy or devotion. Now, men usually have a strong sense that they are to provide, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with providing and giving things in marriage, but at best, these things are tokens of biblical love in marriage. At worst, material gifts are substitutes for genuine marital love. Remember, the biblical model is Christ, and Christ loved by giving himself. Yeah, naturally, men will go beyond often these basic necessities and give gifts to their beloved. But those gifts only have meaning if they're accompanied by giving of self. While a husband may feel like he's showing love by showering gifts upon his wife, what she will often want is his time, attention, and intimate conversation. So I encourage married couples to talk honestly about this. I'm probably not a natural gift giver. My love language is more likely physical touch and closeness, but Christie's is primarily quality time. Therefore, I have to remind myself constantly that in order to build oneness, we have to spend more time just talking. 
about relationships and dreams and plans and joys and sorrows, frustrations, defeats, and victories. That's how I think she really feels love. Now, ladies, if this kind of communication is not something that happens very often with you, I just want to remind you that in general, men are simply not as relational as women. Okay? There's exceptions, but we're just not. But So please be patient and ease him into more and more conversation and connection. A husband loves positively. At our age, Christy and I have gotten into the habit of mentioning things to each other when they come to mind, like, hey, remind me of this, or please don't forget to do that, okay? Yeah, we know this because short-term memory isn't what it used to be, okay? The problem we've had recently is the person who's supposed to remind forgets, yeah. <laughs> uh, not too long ago, I had several things building up uh, with me in my work and quite a bit of pressure and I came down from my, from my office and Chrissy just happened to, rem- to say, hey, did you remember to do something that she'd asked me to do? And I reacted in a less than patient way. Um, I just have too many things on my plate. Something like that. Guys, I have learned and I'm still learning. This is not the best way to relate to the person whom you depend on for your care, who handles all the details of life that you cannot, who shares your bed, and who's gone through not a little bit of pain to bear your children. The Bible has one admonition, one negative admonition for husbands in Colossians 3. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So guys, I strongly suggest that if you ever do what I did, and I suspect you will, as soon as it enters the thick skull, repent and ask for forgiveness. It'll go a lot better, okay? A husband loves completely. Of course, loving completely means to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and everything. But there's another dimension to complete love. After Paul tells husbands to love wives as Christ loved the church, he describes what he means. Starting in verse 26 there, he says, that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So just as Christ wants his bride, the church, to be the best that it can be, a husband is to give his wife the attention, interest, and freedom to the best that she can be based upon the gifts that God has given her. We should, as husbands, pay attention to her work, her interests, her desires, her friends. We should encourage the wives, our wives to exercise their own gifts, grow spiritually, find fulfillment in their own ministry, spend time with, with other women as we do with the guys, and grow. Husbands, loving completely means to discover her needs and to provide opportunity and support so that she can serve in a way that God has gifted her just as she supports you in the way that you serve with your gifts. Uh, Most of the rest of our time is now going to be focused on the responsibility of wives. And in this day and culture, the guiding spirit seems to be self-love, independence, as if we are all individual gods, setting our own course and destiny, 
uh, in this life accountable to no one. And this applies to men and women. But when we deal with the biblical model of marriage, when two become one, it's hard to see how that way of looking at life and reality and relationships will work. If each of us is an autonomous being, how can we ever hope to coexist with another in harmony as one for life? Now, while the Bible states plainly that a wife is to submit to her husband, much of the world simply cannot accept that concept. We've covered this before, but it bears repeating. Uh, the word used in the text for submit or to be subject to in some versions is a Greek word meaning to line up under or to subordinate. The fact that this word was originally a military term uh, may cause even more reaction because most view the military as rigid and insensitive. So visions come to mind of a good Nazi doing whatever she's told. This is a total misunderstanding of the word submit as used here. At least in the American military, there's a recognition that all leaders are fallible. And under stressful circumstances, some leaders can give orders that are unlawful or that violate a higher authority. Therefore, a, a service member is to submit or subordinate rather than obey blindly. That means that if an order that is given is clearly unlawful or contrary to a higher authority, the subordinate is bound to defy the unlawful order. So just as running an army of individual autonomous gods is impossible, the same is true for a marriage, a business, or any combined endeavor. Subordination is essential in all cooperative efforts. There are Greek words that denote obedience in the sense of completely bending one's will and one's actions to the desires of another. This word obey is distinct and is used in Acts 5 when Peter says that Christians should obey God rather than man. And that is exactly the point. While all Christians are to submit to authorities, whether citizens to government, workers to employers, wives to husbands, they are to always obey God in the strict sense, which usually includes obeying earthly authorities, but not always. The failure to understand the distinction between the biblical term submit and obey is the cause of so much conflict within and without the body of Christ. So we can avoid a lot of arguments if we define and understand our terms and stick to the biblical meaning. So I want to make some general points for clarity here. Uh, as the Bible teaches the wife to submit to her own husband, not to all men. It's a special relationship. Of course, just like any man, women recognize that if they're working under a boss, whether man or woman, they must submit to that boss if they want to keep their job. A woman in the military must submit to a woman or a man who has a higher rank. I suppose there are some who would take the personal autonomy position to its logical extreme and never submit to any authority, living completely on their own without any authority, employer or otherwise, in their lives. And a wife in such a situation would at least be consistent in not submitting to her husband, unlike the wife who submits to her employer, but not her husband. Therefore, 
if one chooses to not follow the biblical pattern for marriage, then that person, him or her, is their own God and is on their own. In general, aside from the voluntary subordination in those kinds of positions and the general accountability we have to one another, it's only to her own husband that a wife is to submit in matters relating to the household. We need to, at this point, recognize an element of living the Christian life. And we are always to tell the truth, but in love. Truth without love is harsh and is usually ineffective. On the other hand, one who thinks that all we need is love, feelings, or empathy untethered to truth of God's word has simply made him or herself a little God again. We need both truth and love. Now, we've covered the biblical truth of, about submission, so let's turn now to the spirit or the attitude necessary for this concept of two becoming one to work from the perspective of a wife. The first is that she submits voluntarily, uh, just like the husband. The responsibilities of husbands and wives are indeed commands we all choose to follow God's commands or not. So volition is still involved. You know, if you think about it, uh, whose plan do you want to follow? God's or yours? What do you think? While we're still learning, this is something that Christy and I seek whatever time we have left because it's an act that's free and voluntary because we both desire to follow him. The word submit in these passages, unlike love, is a verb in the middle voice, which means that the subject, the wife, completes the action of submission. In other words, the wife voluntarily submits herself first and then comes to the husband in a state of submission. Now, now listen here. If she feels forced to submit, that is not biblical submission, but coercion. The submission of a wife is yielded, not grudgingly handed over, as if under compulsion. Last, uh, or, or in July, I said that an immature male who may be over the age of 18 is not a man and is not ready for marriage. Today, I will say that a woman who cannot yield in submission is not prepared for marriage either. So the wife who wants to obey God will choose to submit to her husband as the Bible defines submission. She submits continually, just as her husband is to love and respect her continually. She is not only to love, but to yield to her husband continually. Uh, when discussing the responsibilities of, husband, of the husband, when there's a disagreement, we have said that the wise husband will listen carefully to the concerns and counsel of his wife, but a decision must be made. It is the husbands who must make that decision and take responsibility for that decision. If the husband takes the wife's advice and it ends poorly, she's not responsible, he is. If the husband say, you just make the decision, I'm out of it, and it goes poorly, he is responsible, and he can't blame her or complain about her decision because he has responsibility for those decisions. So when she comes into marriage in a state of submission, 
that submission goes on and on even when she doesn't feel like it, even when she feels defiant or independent, perhaps after an argument. Submission does not depend upon feelings, rather her willing response to God. So an exhortation here. We should consider the whole counsel of God rather than listening to the world and how it characterizes these commands. When a husband abuses his authority, of course, that creates conflict. If not resolved, the couple should seek wise biblical counseling, always remembering that their marriage is to reflect Christ and his bride, the imperfect church for which he suffered. Some buzzwords. She submits as to the Lord. Now, let's be clear here. This verse does not mean the husband is a deity. Okay? That's pretty clear, and she knows it. But there's a double level of submission here. Because it is God who tells her to submit. And if she's not submitting to her husband, how can she be in submission to God? So the phrase, as to the Lord, refers to the attitude of the actor, not the receiver. In Ephesians 6, uh, we have uh, an example of this. Earlier we said that husbands are to be servant leaders following the example of Christ. Uh, Here in Ephesians 6, it says that uh, we are to engage as servant leaders in in ministry as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So the submission to her husband as to the Lord means that her attitude is to to do the will of God from the heart, not merely to please her husband, but to obey, honor, and please God himself. Guys, Ephesians 6 goes both ways. Husbands, likewise, should be rendering service with good will as to the Lord to their wives. Now, the point here is that a wife, for the wife, is her willing attitude not lifting the husband up as if he were a god. We save the most difficult for last. Uh, she submits in everything. Okay? Some take this to mean that a wife has no say, must go along with everything he says. Without taking the whole counsel of God, This interpretation becomes a logical straw man, if you will. Easy for any skeptic to ridicule and knock down. What woman wants to believe in a God that commands her to obey a tyrant without question, literally to be his slave, no matter how abusive or wrong? Hmm? However... When you take into account how the biblical presents marriage as two becoming one, that light reveals a completely different picture. First, in everything indicates submission in all circumstances in order to achieve God's best in the union. Well, what does all circumstances mean? How can a wife be submissive when her husband is abusive? Of course, A wife should protect herself and the children, if necessary, from abuse. Intervention and separation may be necessary, but if she loves her husband, she will seek help for him while she protects herself and the children. What if it's not abuse? He's just dead wrong, even stubborn about it. 
Well, we have some guidance for that in 1 Peter 3 that helps us understand that it may not be easy for wives, but it's quite possible and I think much preferable. There it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that if any, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So as an aside, this this phrase, do not obey the word, has often been interpreted to refer to an unbelieving husband. And it certainly could be. However, it says, do not obey. It doesn't say, do not believe. Therefore, I believe it can refer to a believing Christian husband who simply is in sin and not obeying the word. The bigger point here is that a wife with such a husband has to make a choice. She can choose to argue and nag, or she can choose to follow the biblical advice to win him over by her respectful and pure conduct. Note that this is not manipulation by the wife using her wiles and beauty or withholding of affection. That passage continues. In context now, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the wearing or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So it's the attitude with which a wife adorns herself, her inner beauty, that will best influence her husband. The world says to a wife with a husband who's acting like a jerk that she should demand her way as his adversary. The Bible exhorts her as his life partner to help him see his blind spots by reaching his heart. So if a wife is to bring everything into submission... That includes her very best thinking, intuition, and ideas that may help her husband get back on the right path. She, as I said, more often has more relational strengths and perspective that her husband lacks. And as her husband's helpmate, she will desire to help him, help him lovingly with those attributes. Now, think about this just from maybe experience or, or, you know, hypothetical or whatever. The concept of submission that we're talking about right now can change the tone of a disagreement from confrontation and contradiction to conciliation and contribution. Think of the difference between, why can't you understand, dot, 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 and as opposed to, honey, Have you ever thought about this, dot, 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 in a calm and peaceful manner? Which do you think is going to be more effective? Now, for Christy and I, being fallible, it would be disingenuous to say that we have never had disagreements and arguments. And honestly, we have both violated much of what you have heard today. But frankly, I need Christy to make many decisions for the household that I simply don't have the time, energy, and attention to make. Something's going on here. Yeah. She knows. Am I still on? She knows. Hello. Are we on? Okay. All right. Uh, 
She knows that I'm distracted and I've got other things to do, so I need her to be doing those things. Uh, she and I both came into the marriage with the DNA of stubbornness. So we do have words from time to time, even though our kids say they never heard it. And when that happens, I, can think we can, I think we can honestly say that eventually we will both step back, consider what's most important, and agree that one or both of us needs to repent and ask for forgiveness. Uh, a resource for this would be Lesson Leslie's parrot uh, session on fight night. If you haven't seen that, you ought to. This is one of the reasons that it's, I'm blessed to be married to Christy, because she knows that she is strong-willed, that submission does not always come easy for her, but she sees how important it is to the growth of our marital oneness. In general, I do believe that the husband is more responsibility, responsible for whatever it takes to do in order to protect and preserve the marriage. That does not mean that the wife has no responsibility. And Christy knows this. And despite who's at fault, and it's often me, she knows that she owns the marriage with me and she bears a responsibility along with me as one to make it work. So to summarize, marriage combines voluntary submission of the wife and sacrificial love of a servant leader and ongoing mutual submission of the two as one through the trials and the details of life. Finally, we would all be wise to keep in mind, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table here in a while, and this is really important because when Christ went to the cross, he knew that we would be living in the future and sinning in the future, right? And yet, he went to the cross and died for those future sins. So I'd recommend to anybody, whether you're premarital or in, into marriage or whatever, that you anticipate being hurt, being disappointed, being let down, and agreeing that regardless of all that that's coming up, I will stay committed to you. Just as Christ did for each one of us. As the worship team comes up, uh, we're going to go over a verse here. There it is, 1 Corinthians 11. You'd all stand. All right, together. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I command you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God.